welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. I'm so pleased to welcome Liz Baccarello to our show today. Liz is a mom, wife, New York Times bestselling author, and now editor-in-chief at Meredith Corporation. So I met Liz close to six years ago when I moved to the Burbs and I didn't know a soul. She immediately welcomed me and my family into her home for our Block's progressive dinner party. Next, she invited me to join her book club, and since that time, there have been benefit dinners for our school, backyard barbecues with a lot of cornhole tossing, and so much more with the Vaccarellos. I've been in awe of Liz since the first time we met, and thankful she's here with us today for the Battle Box podcast. Thanks for joining us, Liz. I am so happy to be here. That was such a lovely intro. I know, but you welcomed me with such a lovely, you know, welcome, so glad to have you here. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So I just, you know, kind of want to go back to the beginning because you have obviously, there's so much we want to learn about you, but you know, my dream in college and this may date me was always to work in magazines. And I'm just curious, how did you break into that industry and how did you kind of pave your way in such a competitive market? I think I was very lucky in that I always knew, even at college, in college, I went to the University of Michigan that I wanted to be a writer and that I wanted to write for magazines as opposed to newspapers. So all of my internships, my early jobs in Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, they were all focused on magazines. So I got, by the age of 26, I was actually, God help me, I was named editor-in-chief of Cleveland Magazine at the age of 26. That's amazing. So yes, I was so like humbled by the job and grateful. And I asked for consultants to help me with the investigative reporting pieces and everything. When I moved to New York, my husband's a photographer and he moved to New York before I did. And when I finally got it together to go to the big city, I knew I'd have to sort of take a several steps backwards and start over. You know, I wasn't going to be editor in chief. And so I was very, very nervous about that change. But I was hired as an articles editor at Fitness Magazine, which is owned by the Meredith Corporation. But I was there for seven years. And then I left after that to be editor-in-chief of my first national magazine, which was Prevention Magazine, the health and fitness and weight loss book. I did that for five years. I was the editor of Rachel Ray's magazine for a year. Then when that company sold it to another company, I stayed on and I was the editor-in-chief of Reader's Digest, the biggest magazine in the world. I rejoined the Meredith Corporation about three years ago now as editor-in-chief of Parents Magazine. And I run the Parents Network. So all of the brands here, Parents, parents Parents.com, Parents Latina, Ser Padres, Parenting, Fit Pregnancy and Baby, all of .com, all of those sites report up into me as well. And then I also have sort of an editorial director role. So some half of the magazines at the company report into me as well, which all that means is that I'm like doing expense reports of Laura, <laughs> the editor-in-chief of InStyle. I'm like, oh, she's having lunch with Nicole Kidman. Approve. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, how do you go from juggling so many titles and responsibilities? I mean, you're bouncing around from your editorial roles to overseeing in style and real simple. Like, how do you deal with all that? 
I think we all divide our day based on what's more important or we should, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I divide my job, the time I spend professionally, based on what's most important, but also where I can add value. You know, I have such an amazing staff and team here at Parents. And so I let the creative director, you know, oversee the art in the magazine. I, I check it off and I, I weigh in and I approve and disprove. But um, I let my, I delegate the making of the magazine pages, that hard, hard, work really um, to the people who do it best. And then, like I said, for the other magazines, I think, where can I add value? And I think I do a lot of, t I spend a lot of time studying trends in the marketplace, trends among millennial women, tr trends among American women in particular, but millennial moms specific to parents, but also Gen Z consumers because as Meredith as parents magazine frankly looks at the future of our readership it's Gen Z like my children are at the mm -hmm. end of Gen Z and the first Gen Zers are starting to have kids now so they're moving squarely into our space so I look at beauty trends and fashion trends and home and travel and all of that through the lens of how is the conversation shifting how are people reacting to products and themes in the marketplace and ways of doing things? How are they talking to each other? What language are they using? So I'm big into research and I'm big into social listening. So I'm so curious because, you know, from the influencer perspective, you know, we get more and more requests from millennials, 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 but could you just kind of pinpoint for us, like what's the biggest trend differentiator between Gen Z and the millennial? For me, it's, these people were born um, digital natives. Millennials transformed into digital natives, but Gen Z mm -hmm. consumers never watched network television or you know had a cable box. Um, they may never have gotten a newspaper into their home. Um, and so there's that says a lot about how they're consuming media. So I would say that's the first thing is that they are very much digital natives. The second thing probably has to do with their worldview and it, it and it, um, a lot of it has to do with climate change and natural products and whether they be food products or beauty products, climate change. This generation is mad. This generation is taking action and their need to be good global citizens and leave a smaller footprint is really driving purchase intent in a way that it never did before. So I would say those are two of the bigger themes of among Gen Zers. I mean, it's so interesting because I'm still so old school that I just want to pick up a magazine. Like that excites <laughs> me. Like, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? But I mean, I know, well, the good news is like, of course, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't want to work for a community newspaper. I think that though <laughs> that medium is dying, but print is not dead. Magazines are not, you know, radio never went anywhere when television came, came along. Mm -hmm. um, and really the magazine readership among millennials and Gen Z is very, very strong in the, the, um, the brand loyalty in particular goes very, very deep among uh, even millennials and Gen Z. They bring a they welcome a magazine into their home, not necessarily to pass the time because the phone does that or to follow the news because they're getting that digitally, but they still look to magazines for inspiration um, for me time, you know, think of your favorite magazine. Think of the one that you put next to your 
most comfortable chair or next to the bathtub. And, or if you get on a plane, you know, many of us buy our favorite magazine as a sort of a treat for ourselves. And so um, the print is, is very strong and really has a role in terms of influencing people. When people read something, and particularly when people read something on paper, Mm -hmm. um, the neurology has actually shown that they retain it, that they um, have a longer interest in it, et cetera. So I could do a whole podcast on print not being dead, but. No, no, I'm sure. I mean, (laughs) I do find like, and I have this debate all the time with my mother, like, does it count if you listen to a book? And I don't think it does, but everyone else. It does. It's you're getting the storytelling. It doesn't, you know, I, I had this debate with my children actually, because my children are like, I walked into the room one day and they had YouTube on and somebody on YouTube was reading aloud the book that they were supposed to. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, this is what it's come to. Yeah, I'm sure you did not appreciate that. Sidebar, I kind of failed at our book club, but anyway. (laughs) Okay, so I have to ask, we keep talking about influencers and influencers and, you know, obviously there's celebrities and authors and politicians, but you're someone with a lot of clout. How do you define the term social media influencer? You know, one of the things I did when I came to parents about two years ago, I redesigned the magazine. We had only had children and toddlers on the magazine, on the cover of parents for 90 some years. And I said, we are a magazine for the mom and for the dad. And so we put parents on on the cover, celebrities, (laughs) but mainly influencers. And so... Um, I have a really specific perspective when I look at who might be on the next cover of parents, for example, I want people who set a good example, who are the right age and et cetera. I want to show, um, diversity. I want to show what America, when you see 12 issues of parents magazine, I want you to see different skin colors, different family makeups, gay parents, straight parents, single moms, single dads, et cetera. Um, but when it comes to the influencer, I want somebody who's either driving the cultural conversation and a good example of that might be Jordan Fernie of Oh Happy Day. She was on our September issue last year. Mm-hmm. She's somebody who's influenced. She's the designer behind Color Factory, for example. Yeah. She's somebody who there are a lot of people who are like Jordan Fernie or like Joy Cho, who is another Um, She has a a line at Target. Those people have sort of set the bar for these bright colors and these, um, you know, this, this playful approach to design and surrounding ourselves with, with life and energy. Um, So I look for that if they're driving literally trends, if they're influencing trends, number one, but number two would be anybody who's driving conversation. Anybody, I look at people's feeds and I see not necessarily, I look for not necessarily likes, but comments and engagement with the audience. Is the influencer, his or her, him or herself responding to those, to those comments? Is a conversation happening? And another, a good example of that was um, Katie Wilcox, who was our cover in August of 2018, 2018, yes. Um, and she's all about body positivity and models who are not size, not plus size models and not real, like not size two models, but like this, this middle ground of size eight, size 10, size 12 women, um, getting models into, um, media, 
that mm-hmm. represent that. So to me, that was influencing. That was influencing moms. I would I would look at people who have something to say. Sean T's a third example. He and his husband Scott were on our cover last February um, with their two boys who were born during via surrogate. And Sean T, like the engagement, the level of conversation around the fact that they were our first gay couple on the cover, mm-hmm. I think spoke more about Sean T's followers and the level of adoration and connection that he has with his followers than it did about us putting a gay family on the cover. People were just thrilled that Sean and Scott were getting this moment in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's just, it's really interesting to see that Instagram is considering removing the like button, but that's you know, engagement and the conversation is definitely the number one metric for looking at, you know, influencers and how we select the right influencers. So it's definitely something that we do as well. I mean, I guess my next, you know, thought with that is looking inside your inbox. And I'm sure that not only from influencers, but you probably receive so many pitches a day from brands and publicists and I'm obsessed with inboxes. So like, what does your (laughs) inbox look like? Like, how does someone get a response from you? How do you filter through that, you know, all the emails? Oh, Sherry, you're all about boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, email is so, it sounds crazy to start somebody who works in print talking about old school, but email to me is so old school. I just, I I just do not have time to respond to email pitches anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I will do is I don't delete them, but I will forward them to the appropriate editor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, but I have to admit, I don't have time to sort of, respond and CC that editor. So oftentimes the publicist or, or the influencer, somebody who's pitching me doesn't know that I forwarded it, but I do send it along to the to our lifestyle editor, craft, food, pregnancy, baby, toy, whatever the editor, whatever the beat is, I forward, forward that on. I'd say in this day and age, DMs and IMs are, are one of the best ways to get attention or or to comment on my feed, I don't mean to like sound self-serving, but to comment on the parents' feed, to comment on somebody you want to get attention from or have a conversation with. Sometimes, you know, you know, people like to read what, what their followers and what their community thinks about their post or about their picture or whatever. So I will often, I've developed friendships, but people I've never met in real life via Instagram, professional friendships, mm-hmm. um, via Instagram, via the comments section in, in a post. So that I think is, is a, that can't be discounted. It seems, I think 10 years ago, you might've said that that's not professional enough, but Mm -hmm. I mean, who has time? It's like opening the mail. I open my, my actual hard mail once Mm -hmm. a month. Oh my God. Like I'll go through all the emails maybe once a week. So the fastest way is often the quickest way. I'm always too shy. Like there's certain people that I would want to reach out to, but I'm always like, no, I don't know if I could do it. So glad to get that tip from you. I might take you, I might start doing it more often. Um, Social media, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of anonymous. You know, if I don't want to engage with you, I won't respond. And so no harm, no foul. Well, I am, you know, obviously looking, I, you know, follow you on Instagram. And to me, it's like, there's, it's perfect. Your personal account, there's work, there's family and there's fun, but this is kind of all new. Like how did you adapt to being like, not just in the spotlight in print, but just 24 seven you're on. 
Well, first of all, you don't have to be, as we know, we don't, you don't have to be 24 seven on, you can plan, you can time posts, although I don't do that. Instagram, I literally do in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't, my assistant doesn't do it. I do that because I find it to be a creative outlet for me. Like mm-hmm. I said, like I, I have people who get to do the parents Instagram and get to make the parents cover and all that. And so to me, it's, it's creative to like do Insta stories or whatever. Right. So I would say that, um, I do it in the moment. I do it enough so that it's easy to do. Like, I don't think, okay, I'm going to spend an hour tonight working on my post because first of all, that's nobody wants that kind of, they, they want authenticity. They want it to be a little raw. Um, and that's what I want the magazine to be. I want them. I want parents to be for all moms and dads who are exhausted and just want to get dinner on the table and the kids to sleep. Like we're not about this perfect atmosphere. So on social media, I try to reflect that and try to show myself not just in my perfectly made up editor's letter picture where there's a fan and 17 people helping me look pretty, They, but it's also like just me standing in line in the middle of the night with my daughter to get into a concert, like when I've had two hours of sleep, because that, <laughs> that's real life, right? The other thing is yeah. I pick up, I pick a platform and I think you'll find this with many people. Some people are Instagram people, some people are Twitter, some people are Pinterest. I just don't think unless you are a full-time influencer, which your audience is, your customers are, but um, I'm just, I'm mostly Instagram and a little Twitter, but I don't do, I don't do Facebook and I don't do Pinterest. You just can't do it all. And TikTok, I just watch my girls do TikTok and YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, for me, it's like we work with the influencers and we're, you know, fully engaged in them, but you know, I, I'm very discreet on Instagram too. Like I kind of mm-hmm. stay out of it, but so, you know, again, going back, you've mentioned your girls a few times. I see that there's been a lot of concerts that you've been going to lately, yeah. <laughs> but they're remarkable. You have twins, 14 year old girls, and you know, just they're skateboarding and doing hoops and running businesses and how it's so hard to raise children. How does, how do you raise such daring and bold and creative kids in today's environment? Oh my God. It's, you know, part of it's luck. But I have to say two words, Steve Beccarello. Like I, my, <laughs> I hit the husband lottery. He is a photographer, as I said, but when he's not on a shoot, he's home. His office is at home. And so he, even though we have a nanny, we have help, we have babysitter. That's the, I think that people, the thing that a lot, not enough people show the world, um, celebrities, not that I'm a celebrity, but people, you know, I couldn't do this if I didn't have full-time childcare coming to my house. I'm not driving a child to daycare. I have a husband or a babysitter who's doing that heavy lifting and is doing the grocery shopping and the laundry. And so that's how, that's how I'm able to do it. I really, I, my job is big enough that I can't even ask for 50, 50 parenting from my husband, from my partner. I have to ask for 80, 20 parenting. Like I'm there on the weekends, but Monday through Friday, I'm all in until dinner time. I'm all in on the job and you know, certain things fall by the way. So you have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. If it's either a spouse, if you're lucky enough to have a partner who's, who's chipping in, if you're privileged enough to be able to afford paid help, or if you're resourceful enough to find your village around you to help neighbors, et cetera. That's one thing. But, um, and then also to, to know that you can't, you can't really do it all. Like it has, it has to be good enough. Like I 
I've missed the first day of school a few times. You know, I just, I was in China the first day that my girls went to preschool. I was there, I was in, I was in town for, for kindergarten, but it's like, you know, and they survived. It's okay. You know, like I'm there, they know that I'm there for them. I show up for the big things and the little things and the time that I do spend with them, I make sure is quality time. And I, I know we're not talking about like parenting per se, but there's this fascinating study that I love to share with anybody who's a parent. And that is researchers asked a room full of children under eight, they were between the age of five and eight. If you could change one thing about your parents when they're around you, what would it be? And most, and most of the parents themselves thought that the children would say that they wished that they were at work less. But an overwhelming majority of the children said that they wished their parents were in a better mood when they were home. Wow. So it's not, it's, it's the putting the phone down. It's they these kids like as young as five, six, seven, eight, they want that quality time. They'd rather have one good hour with you where you're happy and focused on them than the seven hours that you think you need to spend on the floor playing labels. Yeah, no, I see that. I see with my son, like you, he has a new game, pillow hockey. And it's like, he doesn't care if I do anything, but if I play pillow hockey with him for a half an hour, right. then he's thrilled. Done. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've yeah. checked the mommy box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for that afternoon. So, you know, th this has been so, thank you, Liz. I just, you know, one last question that I always ask and yeah. uh, it's name an influencer in any vertical that you love to love and hate to admit you follow. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I didn't know this was coming. Okay. That I love to love. Boy, I love to love Jenny Mullen. And that is, she's one of, she's been on our cover. She's become a friend. She's become a columnist. She's um, an author and totally raw and real out there on Instagram. Just complaining because, oh my God, she has a whole weekend in front of her and her husband's out of town and the nanny's not coming and what's she going to do with two little kids? Like, that's real. That is brave to be able to like curl up in the corner and be freaking out in front of her. <laughs> so she's hilarious. So I love to love her. And what's the second one? The second question. No, that's it. You love to love and hate to admit you follow. Oh, I don't hate to admit I follow her. I ex I want everybody to follow Jenny Moore. Who do I hate? I follow all the bachelors and bachelorettes <laughs> and paradise people because I have this little corner of me that believes it's all real and that it's true love and that they will all find something. And it's like, I, I meet photographers who've shot them for People Magazine and I'm like, don't tell me. I don't want you to tell me anything. I want to believe the love. And when they have babies, I, like, I love all that stuff. So I'm a little well, there's a show you should watch. It's what? called, did you ever watch Unreal? No. Well, you should watch it. It's about the, like that kind of stage show, a dramedy. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> it's awesome. Well, oh. thank you so much, Liz. It's Beautiful. always lovely talking to you. And um, I'm sure I will see you very soon. And just thanks for being on the show today. I loved it. I loved it. I love you. And I love Babblebox. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.